Hello, hello. I am your host, Dorotia Barna, and you are listening to the Mind Society Speaker Series, where we invite professors, researchers, and graduate students specializing in psychology to share and discuss their unique research questions, most recent studies, along with their fascinating findings. Coming from some of the top universities throughout the world, these experts will share what they've been working on in their labs and illuminate their discoveries so that we can use this information as sources of knowledge to elevate the quality of our lives and the way we engage with and interpret others. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, today's guest is Dr. John Mayer, who's based out of the University of New Hampshire and who's one of the top experts in emotional intelligence and personality psychology. With the help of Peter Salovey, who's now the president of Yale, and David Caruso, who's still involved with Yale College, had created the Mayor Salovey Caruso Emotional Intelligence Test, a scale that, you guessed it, measures emotional intelligence. And not only does he cater to this really interesting area of research, but he also focuses on the world of personality psychology, an area that's still conducting extensive research to understand. We discuss the different types of intelligences he studies and how they impact the quality of our life. My conversation with Dr. Mayer is up next. All right, hello, hello everyone. And we welcome Dr. Mayer from the University of New Hampshire to the Mind Society. Welcome, Dr. Mayer. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. This will be a wonderful conversation today. It's one of my, well, two of my favorite topics, uh, emotional intelligence and personality psychology. So let's kick it off. Let's first talk about personality psychology. Give us the rundown as far as what that is and what that means. Well, for me, personality psychology reflects the global organization of a person's psychological subsystems. So people who study personality psychology are entrusted with an almost impossible task, which is to describe how an individual's psychological functioning unfolds as a whole and how they, and to more personalize it, how each of us makes decisions in life uh, that help us both, uh, that are based on understanding ourselves and projecting or behaving uh, in the world around us in a way that's going to be compatible with who we are and with who the people around us are. Mm-hmm. That broad organization of psychological systems like motivation, emotion, cognition, I think that's accepted by uh, most personality psychologists. And a lot of my work, in fact, has been creating a, a global model for how to put together all those parts in a sensible way so we don't lose track of, you know, when we're studying emotion, we don't lose track of the cognition, or when we're studying the cognition, we don't lose track of the motivation, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And when we're thinking about ourselves more in a more applied day-to-day basis, that we're sort of reviewing more global map of who we are as we decide what to do. So what sort of studies have you been conducting recently in the realm of personality psychology? I'd love to kind of see how that also connects with emotional intelligence, but I'd love to see if those two could stand independently or is emotional intelligence under the umbrella of personality psychology? Can you help clarify that? 
Yeah, sure. And that's a, that's a really good way to, to continue or to start is that within personality, there are a lot of features of a person's personality that are of importance. And I believe that among the more important aspects, the more stable and defining aspects of who we are, are the group of intelligences that we, that we possess and how we use them. And one part of understanding ourselves is knowing our capacities in various different areas, one way of understanding ourselves and other people. So a lot of attention in personality psychology is given, has been given and continues to be given to what I call the socioaffective sphere traits, which are things like extroversion and introversion, agreeableness uh, and the like. And then there are traits of self-control, which are also clearly very important and intellectual openness. But we can also shift and look at a different part of personality. And in that different person part of personality is the way we think and how we cognize and represent the world around us. Um, and part of that has to do with the intelligences. So by maybe by historical accident, I was initially interested in clinical psychology, then decided I wanted to do research. And the first lab I landed in was an intelligence lab. Mm. And that kind of piqued my interest in whether there was one intelligence, the hot debate at the time was whether there was one intelligence or whether there were many uh, intelligences. And at the time that I was studying, the weight of the evidence was on one intelligence. But I started wondering about whether there were, even in that one intelligence period, clinical psychologists were recognizing at least two intelligences, a verbal intelligence and what today is called a visuospatial intelligence or what then was called performance IQ. Mm -hmm. And the visuospatial intelligence and verbal intelligence, even though people were talking about general intelligence, people knew that those were two different things. So I once started wondering if there might be a third member of that group. And I was quite interested in emotions and starting, starting to study emotions at the time. And one of the questions I had, uh, which was whether there might be a third intelligence there, uh, which would be emotional intelligence. So I thought, you know, I think this is a very central part of personality. In fact, uh, Walter Michel had recently written uh, his book, Personality and Assessment. And he famously, although perhaps it's not an entirely accurate representation, but he was viewed as saying uh, stable personality was, um, that personality was not terribly stable across situations. Mm -hmm. But if you actually read the book, in the he, to get to that point, the first thing he excludes is mental ability. He says mental ability is quite stable no matter which way you look at it, it's these socioaffective traits which are maybe less stable. Huh. And reading that at the time, I thought, well, that's a safe place to go. I could go look at uh, mental abilities and, and cognitive styles and the like, and then I'd be on firm footing looking at long-term things which are fairly consistent. Mm -hmm. Also, at that period of time, there had been a failure to identify a third intelligence, and that third intelligence was social intelligence. And the failure that was involved was that research, unlike verbal and what's now called the visual spatial, verbal comprehension versus visual spatial, you could d demonstrate that those two things were distinct. Uh -huh. And so the argument over general intelligence versus those two distinct intelligences was merely that the two, even though they were, the two were distinct, they usually didn't make a difference. 
they usually were so highly related that could just go with a general overall intelligence. Right. Now, social intelligence failed as an idea because when people measured it, they couldn't even get as far as visual versus visual as spatial. They, it just blended into everything else. I had a hunch that maybe emotional reasoning was sufficiently different that it might form a third class of reasoning. And so that's kind of how, that's half of how that idea took off. Wow. Uh, the other half was that Peter Salovey and I started collaborating together on some other work. And uh, when uh, the idea of emotional intelligence arose, we decided together as a team, gee, this is something we could, maybe it's time to develop at this point. So when did the concept of emotional intelligence take hold? So when did you sort of like maybe have this epiphany about emotional intelligence being a potential third or even fourth intelligence or another intelligence at that? And when did this word emotional intelligence, when do you think, when did it start actually getting out into the world and being recognized by the masses? Well, the term predated us, although it was only, it was used really, really rarely. There, I think there were three or four uses I've tracked down from before 1990. Right. We started working on our paper in 1988, and I have a lovely picture of us at a, a conference where I know we barely attended the conference. We were off in a hotel room writing this paper and trying fever, feverishly working on this paper, trying to get it done. But we published it in... Uh, we attempted to publish it starting in around 1989. It was rejected. Uh, I remember one of the reviews said, do not publish this. It could be dangerous. Oh, wow. So what parts did they think were, were going to be dangerous? I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure. I can't speak for the reviewer. Got it. Uh, however, uh, it was rejected, but we did manage to find a colleague who at that time was editor of a, of a much, much smaller journal, and he was willing to take a chance on the article. So it got published in 1990, and, and that is not when the idea took off. I see. In fact, our work was pretty much ignored for about five years or so. I think there were two citations to that article, which were both, I think, by us. Wow. So we're really uh, <laughs> have this, uh, what, historically what happened is that Dan Goldman, a New York Times reporter and who had uh, not coincidentally had gotten a PhD, I believe in psychology from, uh, at, at Harvard, uh, but was working as a journalist at the New York Times at the time, called us uh, and asked if it was okay for him to use the term in a book he was working on, which was on social and emotional learning. Mm -hmm. And he then proceeded to publish his phenomenally successful book under that title. And that was when attention to emotional intelligence began. And that was a very unusual uh, series of events because most, much of the attention went to Dan Goldman's writing, which was not our original idea of emotional intelligence or where we, or where we went with the idea afterwards. You had mentioned that, it, just to clarify, it was he took your concept perhaps in a slightly different direction than what you had originally suggested or concluded perhaps in your studies. Is that correct? Yes. And uh, part of it was that Peter and I continued to work on the topic for, uh, first of all, we published two papers in 1990, a measurement paper and the theoretical paper. Mm -hmm. And we continued to develop the measurement side of it and publish an editorial in the journal Intelligence saying, hey, you know, we think this is a real intelligence. However, there were a lot of complications involved in developing a true and accurate measure, ability-based measure of the intelligence. And that was taking uh, quite a while. Meanwhile, Dan took it and 
uh, I think, expanded the idea so that it couldn't be measured in the way that we were defining it. And in fact, one of the interesting things is that he sort of went with it in the direction of the new intelligence that I introduced in uh, 2008, which is personal intelligence, which is an intelligence about personality. And probably the definition that Dan went toward was closer to that. Oh, that's really interesting. So Dr. Mayer, can you tell us a little bit about this term that you mentioned to me uh, a bit ago? It's called people-centered intelligence. What exactly is that? And you had mentioned that there's two branches that come off of that, personal intelligence and social intelligence. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because to me, that's a kind of a brand new term that I haven't really heard of. And that sounds like it could be really interesting to delve into. Yes, uh, actually three different branches, emotional, personal, and social. Got it. By by 2000, I would say, certainly by 1998, we had unveiled our our first really successful ability measure of emotional intelligence. And that created a a huge controversy in intelligence research because nobody had tried to do something like that before. And uh, against all odds, the darn thing worked so that we there were a, a number of papers back and forth in between 1997 and 2004 or so saying this can't possibly be the case you cannot there can't possibly be this other distinct intelligence that involves reasoning about emotions and ultimately we were very very fortunate to have very very good critics mm-hmm. uh, very well trained high-quality researchers who were criticizing our work. And ultimately, we all came to the realization, by golly, it really does exist. In 2008, uh, because of a number of historical developments in personality psychology, I was ready to introduce the second intelligence along these lines I was really interested in, which was an intelligence about personality. And I named that personal intelligence to be parallel to social intelligence and emotional intelligence. And that also took a number of years to get a measure out, not quite so long, from 2008. I guess the first measure that we released was 2012. And that worked too. Um, And I was kind of, well, I was really delighted and very pleased, but then I had a dilemma because it's like I had these two intelligences, emotional intelligence and personal intelligence, and maybe a third, because other people have been working on social intelligence, although that's the status of social, even today remains a little unclear. So it struck me that rather than being uh, all emotional intelligence all the time, we needed to refocus and think about these three as a group. Now in personality psychology, fortunately, there was a huge amount of research on a dimension called people versus things as an interest that some people were really interested in understanding people and other people were really interested in understanding and working with things. This is very important for career counseling, for example, because some careers uh, are very thing-oriented, like some of the archetypal thing-oriented, prototypical thing-oriented things are farming and mechanics and engineering, and some of the prototypical thing, people-oriented occupations are things like teaching and social work and uh, therapy, for example. Mm-hmm. So that dimension already existed, and I wondered, well, gee, you know, we got that dimension of interest, which is well established and very valid. I, could it be that what had become now known, because there was there was evolution in the field of intelligence as well as the broad intelligences, and these included the verbal intelli- verbal comprehension intelligence I mentioned earlier, and visuospatial intelligence, 
and about eight others, depending on who you talk to, a, a little few more or a few less. And then emotional intelligence uh, was all had also been promoted or was about to be promoted to a member of that pantheon of broad intelligences. Mm -hmm. And I expected the same might happen for personal intelligence. So the question uh, then became, could there be a continuum of, in, of these broad intelligences, these intelligences that are all interrelated and all uh, sort of the vice presidents, if you will, underneath the CEO of general intelligence. If all these vice presidents might be arranged along a conti uh, one continuum at least, or at least some of the broad intelligence along one continuum of people-centered intelligences and thing-centered intelligences. And the mind-blowing aspect of that would be that that would have meant that over much of the 20th century, we had been studying intelligence without any attention whatsoever to people-centered intelligences. But that is really fascinating. And it's great that we've actually started focusing on people-centered intelligences now. So we have personal intelligence, emotional intelligence, and then social intelligence. Do you feel as though there might potentially be another intelligence emerging from sort of the research that you're conducting or that other individuals are conducting? Uh, there could be, but I think, uh, at least for me, I've got my hands full, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm content with these three, three for now. There could be a spiritual intelligence, perhaps. Uh, there could be others, but uh, these three are more than enough. I shouldn't even say these three. The two of them, emotional and personal intelligences, which I, which I do work actively in, uh, I don't believe that I'm really... I believe I should leave social intelligence to people who are more socially oriented than I shall we say I'm, I'm more of an introvert. Well, likewise. <laughs> uh, I believe those two, those two are enough to kind of keep me busy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I want to dive a little bit into the recent studies that you have been conducting. Just go over briefly, maybe one or two, and then go over the different findings that you were able to conclude or the hypotheses that you were able to support. Well, I've, I've been uh, sort of amusing myself in the sandbox of uh, people of uh, personal intelligence recently because it's a lot less crowded and it's all new. So I've kind of been enjoying that a lot. And one of the first things that we predicted was that when it came to personality disorders, that personal intelligence would predict lower symptomatology in two personality disorders. And what was fun about the prediction is we picked two very different personality disorders. We expected lower lower uh, symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder, but also lower symptoms of dependent personality disorders. Mm. Because if you don't know who you are and you don't know your own motives and interests and so forth, if your personal intelligence is low in that regard, then it makes more sense to depend upon other people for decision making. Right. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. So, so that was one of the first validations that we included in our 2012 uh, paper where we trotted out our first scale of personal intelligence. And these, the scales that we use from our lab are unique in, um, or that we've developed in our lab, are unique in being, well, they're no longer unique, thank goodness, um, but they're very different than sort of popular on the web kind, most kinds of measures of this. They're all ability-based, so we're really asking people to reason about personality, to reason about emotions and their correct and incorrect answers on all these tests. 
one quick question that I just wanted to ask before you, you, you go on yeah. to the next part. If you can just explain a little bit to our listeners what a scale is, some people might not know, and maybe go into afterwards the different components of that scale specifically, because you mentioned that there were correct answers and incorrect answers. Maybe you can just clarify that very quickly to our listeners. Okay, so, um, so for personal intelligence, for example, by a scale, I, I mean just a measure. You can call it what you will, a quiz or a survey or whatever, or a questionnaire. And we ask uh, people questions in a number of different areas, including, for example, do they know which kinds of traits typically go together in people? Do they know what kinds of memories might be motivational? Can they identify goals that are mutually supportive versus contradictory? And people who are higher in personal intelligence, for example, um, are able to identify that liveliness tends to go along uh, a little bit more with risk-taking than, for example, uh, quietness does. But people who are low in the skill are not necessarily able to make that, uh, to make those kinds of judgments. Got it. Okay. And for emotional intelligence, we have uh, another set of items, which again are all ability-related, but those concern all of those ask about emotions as opposed to qualities, more general qualities of personality. Got it. So we've been using those tests, uh, both of emotional and personal intelligence. And the personal intelligence, uh, just to continue with that just a bit longer, um, some of the other validation studies that we've looked at are, for example, at work. Uh, we find that there's this concept that organizational psychologists use of uh, counterproductive work behavior, which are people who are sort of undermine the organization and undermine work processes that are going on by being unpleasant to other people stealing things, uh, sabotaging things and the like. And we find that people higher in personal intelligence are less likely to, to engage in those behaviors. People at lower, lower in personal intelligence are more likely to, although not all people low in personal intelligence. We have, I have this idea, which is sort of forming, but is not fully formed, that some people who are low in personal intelligence are highly agreeable with others because the people who are lower in the spectrum don't know, really know who to trust or where to make their decisions and where to put their confidence. Mm. As a consequence, they are less plastic, less flexible in their decision making so that they may revert to a style either of excess agreeableness with others or excess disagreeableness to others. So if they've had a bad experiences in life, they're likely to disagree with everything. And those are probably are the people who are engaging in counterproductive work behavior. Got it. The agreeable people are probably really fun to have on the job and really easy to work with. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> and then we're getting a hint, which is of interest to me since I'm a refugee of, uh, of the liberal, liberal arts. We're getting just a hint that uh, people who are higher in personal intelligence do better in classes that require understanding of personality. And that's the case even if you partial out verbal comprehension knowledge uh, and so forth. And there's a flip. So if you look at like engineering grades, people who are higher in spatial intelligence do better in engineering areas, even if you partial out personal intelligence makes no difference. Hmm. And then in literature, philosophy, leadership courses, People who are higher in personal intelligence do better, even if you partial out spatial intelligence. Oh, that's that's fascinating. It's of importance to education, I think. 
but uh, I haven't I haven't coaxed uh, any or educational organizations to take me up on, on on looking at that in a serious way. And to be fair, I've been very busy, so I haven't gotten around to being very persuasive about it. Yeah, got it. Well, uh, they should definitely consider it. I'm sure it'd be very advantageous and helpful for them for their different programs. Where do you see your research going in these different realms of people-centered intelligence, personality psychology, emotional intelligence research? Where, where is your research heading in the future? Well, some of my students now in my lab are, are looking at aspects of how people-centered intelligences fit together and are different from thing-centered intelligences. So they're looking, starting to look at these intelligences as, as a class of reasoning classes of reasoning. There is a lot of validation uh, work going on where people are looking at the implications of high and low personal uh, and emotional intelligences in relationships and also in self-motivation in a variety of different areas such as choosing occupations and uh, perhaps I, I I I shouldn't reveal everything that my students are working on so as to leave them some space. But I think we're, I will say we're going on with validation studies. Um, and we're also looking at the general model of personality that I've been working at, working on to see if that weird new mathematical approaches to seeing whether that covers personality ad- adequately. Hmm. Because otherwise we get locked into, in fact, as we are locked in in our lab, we have these very specific things we're looking at, these two people-centered intelligences. But really to do personality psychology right, I think it's better to look at a number of different areas of personalities simultaneously to predict important outcomes. And so one wants to sample broadly from socioaffective traits, uh, intellectual traits, traits of self-control uh, and the like, and social skills. I'm really looking forward to seeing how the, the realm and the field of personality psychology develops. It's definitely something near and dear to my heart. Thank you so much, Dr. Mayer. Really appreciate your time in explaining all of these wonderful different facets of emotional intelligence and personality psychology to us. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for your interest, for having me here this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. John Mayer. Tune in a couple weeks from now for our next guest, Dr. Daniel Schachter, where we'll be discussing memories. If these types of conversations interest you, hit subscribe below. Thanks for listening. And until next time, stay curious.